0: But let's have a read, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and then if you'd leave your Bibles open, um, I'm going to be referring back to the text quite a bit as we go. So Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1. Listen to God's Word. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or um, wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, that's the king, when King Herod had heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. He had called together, uh, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was, uh, has written. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. So, that last line we just read. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by a different route. A different route. That's my theme. Of my sermon tonight. And if I could go back and give myself a title, it would be something about taking a different route. So, what would it mean for us if we, like the Magi, were to take an alternate route? What would it mean for us to take a different path? By and large, I think uh, we don't like to take alternate routes in our lives, we tend to be creatures of habit. And we really value efficiency. And so uh, we know the fastest way from point A to point B, and we always take that same way from point A to to point B. We have our schedules. We have our routines. I like to get up at this time, and I like to be out the door at this time, and I like to have so much work done by this time, and I like to be home by this time, and I like to be in bed by this time. And when something gets in the way of my habits, if I'm forced to take an alternate route, it's a problem right? We don't like that kind of thing. We don't like to take alternate routes, but it happens, right? Life happens. We get forced into these alternate routes, and it makes us change the way that we live. For example, uh, money gets tight, and that's no fun, and you find out you can no longer afford your rock and roll lifestyle, so you gotta pull it back a little bit, right? You need to take an alternate route when it comes to your spending. Or you break a leg, like literally break a leg, and you're stuck, and you're really depending on other people, and everything that you had planned for the next six months is totally out the door. You have to take an alternate route. Or your favorite Thai restaurant closes, which happened to me not that long ago. And that's such a big bummer because there's other Thai restaurants, but they're not as good as the one that you love. You have to take an alternate route. Or much more seriously, everything in your life is going along just as you planned. And then suddenly, there's a pregnancy. And that's a whole thing, Right? That's a whole thing. Maybe it's great news for you. Maybe it's really hard news for you, but nobody's neutral about a pregnancy. That's an alternate route. And the things that you had planned are suddenly very different. Or you're going along. Everything's uh, going just maybe as you had planned, and then one day there's a death. And it's not somebody that you expected to die. It's someone that you did not expect to die. And after a few days, you try to go back to your regular schedule, you try to do things like you normally would, but you figure out that you can't, that that person's absence in your life has made literally everything different, and you can't do things the way that you used to do them. My grandmother told me once that for six months, she would get out of bed so carefully, after my grandpa died, she would get out of bed so carefully in the morning, not trying not to wake him for six months. Alternate routes, um, there's a breakup or there's a makeup. Somebody in your life, somebody you love disappoints you. You disappoint somebody that you love. These, key, these kinds of things happen all the time and suddenly you find yourself needing to take an alternate route. The Magi, um, it says in verse 12, the Magi were warned in a dream that they needed to take an alternate route to go back home to the east. But here's the thing that we often miss in this text. While these magi were still in uh, Judea, while they were in Jerusalem and and Bethlehem, the magi caused many people to to take their own alternate routes. They created a significant amount of chaos in Judea Uh, We don't know how long they were there, if it was days or if it weeks, but the Magi threw a huge wrench into the functioning of the kingdom when they were there. So if your Bibles are still open, uh, take a look at the text. We're going to read the first three verses again. So it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the, the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And then it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, there's a lot happening in these verses, so we're going to pick them apart a little bit here. First of all, we have these men who are called magi, and they're, they're walking around, in Jerusalem, asking all kinds of questions. Sometimes in, uh, in the Christian tradition, we call these, we call them wise men, which is fine. It's a fine translation, uh, but it also might give a false impression of who these guys were. It might be overly polite to call them wise men, especially from the Jewish perspective. The word magi comes from the Greek word magician, these guys were three magicians. They were essentially fortune tellers. They were the kind of people that maybe you would hire to your kid's birthday party? Or maybe more accurately, um, they were the kind of people who looked at the stars or who looked at the, the, the creases on your palm or who looked at a set of cards and believed that they could tell the future from these things. They were magicians. So Most scholars can't imagine that these three men were very highly respected when they walked into Jerusalem because they seemed like really superstitious people. They seemed very unscientific. At very least, their wisdom was just weird. It was just foreign. It would be like, for example, um, if there was a conference for meteorologists And all of these meteorologists are at this conference. Uh, They're all PhDs, and they're all talking about these important things like weather patterns and El Nino and global warming and all of this stuff. And then in the middle of the conference, three guys walk in holding the Farmer's Almanac, and they're like, We got it! We figured it out! Have you seen the Farmer's Almanac? Very suspicious. I think the Magi were probably viewed... In that kind of way, like, who would believe these guys? Like, they're magicians, they're foreigners, they're, they're Persians, right? You can imagine all of the eyes rolling. But then, there's this question that they ask, and the question gets everyone's attention. They say, excuse me, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And suddenly, everybody's quiet and everybody cares very much about what the Magi are saying because they're suggesting that there's another king, right? They're suggesting that that there's an uprising. They're suggesting that there's a coup d'etat in the works. And so we can tell from the text that the presence of these Magi and the questions that they were asking were were having a huge impact on the status quo in Jerusalem, so much so that it says in verse 3, it says that Herod, the king, Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. This is actually where I got the idea of Jesus versus everybody because Herod was disturbed and literally all of Jerusalem with him. They were all disturbed about what Jesus was doing, whatever he was doing. They were all disturbed at the prospect that there was a newborn baby who was somehow mysteriously the king of the Jews. Literally everybody was freaked, about, freaked out about this question. And the king and the entire city were sent down an alternate path. Suddenly everything felt up in the air. I mentioned this um, the last time I preached on this text, which I think was about six years ago, but in the, in the original Greek, The word for disturbed says that Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. It literally means an earthquake. It literally means like a riot, like people were riotously upset that this baby had been born. They were being forced down an alternate route and they didn't want that. So it seems like these magi created this huge controversy which held an entire city hostage for at least a number of days, urging people to take an alternate route, to see things differently, to have to think about things differently. It seemed like there was this major tipping point for all of the social and political and religious things that were about to change in their lives, right? Well, it seems like that, and you might think that that was what was about to happen, but it didn't, actually. Here's what happens. The Magi ask about the Messiah. They go to Bethlehem. They meet this child who has been born the king of the Jews, and everybody calms down pretty quickly. Uh, In verse 3, It looks like this whole situation is about to erupt. The word is earthquake. The word is riot. It's like the whole course of history is changing, creating creating an alternate route for everybody in the city, but then we don't hear anything, hear about anything that happens. Maybe you noticed in verse five, here's to me the craziest thing about this text. Verse five, Herod calls together, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So these are the religious experts of the day. This is the religious establishment. And he asks the religious establishment, excuse me, where is the Christ to be born? Does it say, did the prophets say where the Christ is to be born? Um, uh, Because these magi came from the east and they're asking, so where should I go? Where Where is this gonna happen? And the religious experts of the day, the religious establishment, they explain that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And then they go back to whatever they were doing before. Does that strike anyone else as strange? Like, the religious experts, they didn't even go to Bethlehem. Are you kidding me? They weren't disturbed enough to leave what they were doing. If you need any further proof that you cannot depend entirely on the religious establishment, here here is your proof. The religious establishment stayed home. The religious establishment rejected the alternative path. The religious establishment heard about the birth of the Messiah, and they did nothing. That would be like like an astronomer who refuses to look up at the stars. That would be like a teacher who refuses to make eye contact with her students. That would be like a a food critic who refuses to go out to eat. The Christ is born in Bethlehem and they refuse to change their patterns. They refuse to change their plans. They refuse to look at their lives differently. They refuse to take an alternate route. They go back to their studies. They go back to the temple. They go back to their prayers. They go back to their writing. They go back to their rut. They go back to their schedules. They go back to exactly the way everything was. How crazy is that? Think about this. Compare with me the chief priests and the magi. The scholarly elite and the crazy yahoos who are telling the future based on stars. Okay? The chief priests were very religious but only the magi were willing to follow Christ. The chief priests were very very knowledgeable but only the magi were willing to act on their knowledge the chief priests were very very eager to tell you the difference between right and wrong and what was right and wrong and the magi were willing to do what was right the chief priests had no desire for anything to change. They had no desire to take an alternate route. They had no desire for any variation on the status quo. But the magi were totally surrendered to whatever God had next. Totally. And they were always willing to take an alternate route. Sometimes... We are forced into an alternate route. Sometimes the path presents itself and we have to choose. Sometimes it's obvious which is the right path to take, and sometimes it is impossible to tell. But before we ever say no to any kind of alternate route, don't you think we should at least consider whether or not God might be disrupting us enough, earthquaking us enough, rioting in your heart enough to consider the alternate route? God works through riots. He works through earthquakes. He works through alternate routes. And the reason, I think, that God often puts his disciples on alternate paths is to keep us from having a one-dimensional perspective. Because everything always looks the same when you look at it from exactly the same perspective. But a new path means a new vantage point. It means a new way of understanding. It means a new way of looking at and understanding God. And there are lots of new ways to look at and understand God. The Christian tradition is a very deep and very wide tradition. So the question for us on this Epiphany Sunday is this. If Jesus is the light of the world... Can we allow that light to shine even on new paths? What is the new thing that God might be compelling you to do today? The new thing you're having to generate some courage about at work, at home, in your relationships. What is the alternate path? that your little Jiminy Cricket conscience keeps maybe directing you toward, could it be that God is disturbing and disrupting and earthquaking and rioting your life enough to make you consider this alternate path? And if Jesus is the light of the world, the light of the world, is there anywhere we should be afraid to go? Is there any question we should be afraid to ask? Is there any truth we should be afraid to profess? I'm not trying to say that every alternate path is the right path. That's madness. Nor am I saying that everything that we do, every choice that we make, will work out just as we imagine. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that if the light of the world is for us, who can be against us? And if the light of the world puts the sun to shame, what darkness do we fear? God will call us down alternate paths and we can never outmaneuver the light of the world down those paths. Never. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the light that you shine in this world. We thank you for the light that you shine in our hearts. We pray today that you would help us keep our candles trimmed. We pray that you would help us to stay open to alternate routes. And we pray that we would never, ever be afraid. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.